A small fraction of the potentially 1.2 million U.S. adults who could benefit from pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP, for HIV, are currently receiving it. In October, California enacted a law that could serve as a roadmap to increase PrEP use in the United States, including allowing pharmacists to dispense PrEP without a physician's prescription. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Dhruv Kazi, Associate Director of the Smith Center for Outcomes Research in Cardiology and Director of the Cardiac Critical Care Unit at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Dr. Kazi has co-authored a perspective article about the new California law and the continuing barriers to the expanded use of PrEP. Dr. Kazi, why do you think the rate of use of PrEP remains so low? Has access been a particular problem in certain places or certain populations? What's the issue? That's a great question. As you mentioned, we think about a little over a million U.S. adults would be eligible for PrEP, and and just about 10% of that eligible population is currently taking it. And I think of barriers more broadly into issues related to awareness. Patients and or physicians may be unaware about the correct use of PrEP. Stigma, the idea that some of our highest risk patients still feel uncomfortable that if they approach their physicians about PrEP, it might lead to discrimination within their care. And access. And access is a combination of where you can get PrEP and how much it costs. We now have two formulations of PrEP on the market as of this year, but until last year, there was only one. And the price of PrEP has been rising pretty much continuously since it was first approved in 2012. At this point, it costs a little over 20000 a year to get a supply of PrEP for one patient. And that can pose a barrier to the payer. Certainly, our uninsured patients aren't likely to have access to it. But even after insurance coverage, the amount of money the patient may owe in terms of co-pays is a barrier, as well as the fact that insurance companies have been imposing pretty substantial and pretty onerous pre-approval, pre-authorization requirements on effective medication. So a combination of awareness, stigma, and access means that a lot of patients who would benefit from PrEP, from pre-exposure prophylaxis, particularly the highest risk subgroup of men who have sex with men and are younger or people of color and in the South, which is where new infections for HIV now cluster in the United States, have had trouble accessing PrEP. So this new law in California allows pharmacists to furnish a 30 to 60 day supply of PrEP without a prescription from a physician. There have been Smaller-scale experiences with that sort of pharmacist-led HIV prevention in Seattle, for example, did those experiences help shape this California policy? Very much so. The California law was authored by Scott Wiener, who is a senator from San Francisco. And we chatted with his office as to what motivated the design of the law. And it came down to understanding the experience with PrEP in Seattle, in New York, and actually in some parts of San Francisco. So we can start with the Seattle experience where a community pharmacy partnered with local physicians and created a pretty robust protocol for pharmacist-administered PrEP and found that over a period of follow-up, they had very high retention rates and very low rates of HIV infection, which kind of served as a pilot study showing that pharmacist-led PrEP management can be effective and safe. Of course, in our communities, there are two other things to think about. One is that pharmacists are usually viewed as trusted partners in the healthcare system. They're frontline workers, often without the barriers related to stigma and access that we think of in getting a primary care doctor's appointment in some places. And the other is that pharmacists have been actively involved in delivering care effectively, whether we think about vaccines or oral contraception or 
and more recently in naloxone. And even with hypertension management, where pharmacists with the standardized workflow and collaborative practice agreement have done wonders in bringing blood pressure management to the community. We have these examples to build on, and that's kind of served as the template for this new California law. So how often do you think people will actually initiate PrEP at pharmacies? And is there any concern that they'll then discontinue treatment after 60 days, since the pharmacist can only provide up to a 60-day supply? I think that's a really good question. So to clarify, the law has clauses related to pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP that we're talking about today, but also has a clause related to post-exposure prophylaxis. And I think that supposed exposure prophylaxis is when individuals who are HIV negative and have been exposed to HIV within the prior 72 hours, taking a month course of post-exposure prophylaxis can reduce their risk of developing HIV or acquiring HIV. And I think that it's very likely that the PEP clause, the post-exposure clause within the law will be used much more than the PrEP clause. It's a time-sensitive thing. You've been exposed to HIV. You need to start medications within 72 hours, which often may not leave you enough time to get a prescription. It remains to be seen how often the pre-exposure prophylaxis clause is used. I think that it will actually get used more than we think, in part because it doesn't just allow pharmacists to administer or dispense the medication. It also waives pre-authorization requirements. So insurance companies can no longer impose pre-authorization requirements on PrEP or PEP, at least one version. So we think that when Truvada goes generic next year, we'll see a lot more uptake of that particular product without pre-authorization in the community. Your concern about whether individuals will then discontinue PrEP when the 60-day prescription runs out is a legitimate one. We flagged that in our article that it would be extremely important for California as well as other states who look to learn from the law or adapt the law for their own context to ensure that there is monitoring at that vulnerable 60-day period. Are people able to get a prescription within 60 days and continue PrEP, or is there a big drop-off at 60 days? There are two things here that I think give me hope. One is that it's much easier to approach a physician and ask for a refill on PrEP than to have that initial conversation. So we're hopeful that individuals will feel at least the stigma and access barriers that the law addresses will ensure that there's some increase in continuity at 60 days than we would have had without this law at all. And the other is that there are newer protocols for PrEP, which rather than taking a pill every day involve taking medications around an episode of sexual intercourse. And so in that case, a 60-day supply may actually last much longer for some of our patients. The big picture here is that we don't quite know whether this law substantially increases access or just kicks the can down the road so that we have drop-off at 60 days. And we've been encouraging in our conversations with California legislators, as well as discussing with other states, that it would be good for some monitoring to be put in place at 60 days. At the federal level, the Department of Health and Human Services has recently announced a new program that will provide PrEP to uninsured people, and this is under an agreement with Gilead Sciences. To what extent do you think a program like that will help reduce the rate of new HIV infections? I think this announcement, which was just within the past week, is absolutely fantastic because, as we've discussed earlier, the California bill, for instance, addresses issues related to finding a physician, getting a prescription, onerous pre-authorization requirements, but it doesn't directly address the issues related to cost. And insured patients have to grapple with high out-of-pocket costs, 
And uninsured patients, of course, are priced out of this product altogether because it's about 20000 a year. Again, it remains to be seen how many at-risk patients are likely to use PrEP with this new program, but I'm hopeful that this will help, in part because I think the cost-related barriers for PrEP remain substantial and will continue to be that way for at least another couple of years before we have a robust generic market for PrEP. We're not there yet, and even as we know, after the patent expires or the market exclusivity expires, it takes a couple of years for the generic market to pick up. And in the interim, having a program like this that ensures access for uninsured patients will be helpful. Are there any other options, either state or federal, for making PrEP more affordable? Yeah. So the one other example that we could find in our research was that New York has a pretty robust uh, program that connects patients without insurance to patient support programs and then provides subsidies, not just for the pill itself, but also for all the costs associated with being on PrEP. So individuals who are on PrEP have to have a periodic testing for sexually transmitted infections, for HIV, in some cases for kidney function periodically over the course of the year. And these costs add up. So even if the pill is free, it's unclear whether these additional costs would serve as substantial impediments to PrEP uptake. And New York has built this pretty robust program that has helped increase access to PrEP. And I think Again, as other states and jurisdictions more broadly think about increasing access to PrEP in their high-risk populations, it's going to be important to not just think about where patients can get the medication and who can dispense them, but also who's going to pay for the pill and who's going to pay for all of these additional costs that go along with taking a once-daily pill for PrEP. Finally, what can individual practitioners do to help ensure that their patients who'd benefit from PrEP actually have access to it? I think at this stage, the number one barrier that prescribers describe to starting their patients on PrEP is the pretty onerous pre-authorization requirements that many insurers have placed on PrEP, partly related to the high cost of PrEP. If I'm looking at a crystal ball, I would say the pre-authorization requirements will go down once PrEP is generic and the cost-benefit ratio very clearly moves in favor of initiating even intermediate risk patients on PrEP when requested. For every individual practitioner, I would say it behooves us to be cognizant of the indications for PrEP, identifying the patients in our practices that are at risk and would benefit from this once-daily pill that could potentially ward off a catastrophic medical condition for many individuals, understand the patient support programs that are available in the community for these individuals, and then not be afraid to have uh, conversations about cost with our patients. In a lot of insurance plans, the out-of-pocket costs vary substantially across plans, but even within a plan, depending on the time of year. And it's important for us to have these conversations with our patients. Is the cost of this pill a barrier? Can we explore alternatives that might be more cost-effective? Do you have the support you need to continue to take this pill? And we've always been told as physicians to focus on the clinical indications and the clinical complications of a effectiveness and safety of a pill, and increasingly we should be comfortable having conversations about cost and affordability because a pill, no matter how effective, if our patients can't afford it, can't take it, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Thank you, Dr. Kazi.